0: Is That Really in the Bible presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. You know, this day represents the atoning work of our Savior Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And we're gonna be looking at a a lot of scriptures today. I wanna begin by turning to Leviticus 23 and verse 27. Leviticus 23 and verse 27. And i'll try to go slower so you can catch up keep up yeah leviticus 23 and verse 27 also on the tenth day of the seventh month there shall be a day of atonement it shall be a holy convocation unto you and you shall afflict your souls and offer a fire offer, and an offer an offering made by fire unto the lord now of course we're going to come back to this verse here in a little bit, but so you might want to mark your mark that where you're at, but you know, it's it's sort of, it's almost unusual. We think of these as feast days. We think of uh, feasting. We think of, uh, well, obviously we think of eating is one thing we would think of when we think about feasting. But here is a day where God says, I want you to afflict your souls. And, uh, the word is aw naw, I think. I may not be saying that right, but how do we make the connection with, you know, you shall afflict your soul with fasting? How, how, how do we make that connection? Well, uh, keep your place there, but there's a couple verses here I want to look at Psalms 35 and verse 13. <clears throat> Psalms 35 and verse 13. And we're sort of just looking at, okay, afflict, does that really mean to fast and to, you know, to go without food? Um, exactly how do we make the connection? Psalms 35 and verse 13, it says, But as for me, when they were sick, talking about his enemy here, my clothing was sackcloth, I humbled my soul with fasting. And that word humble there it is the same word means to afflict, Ana is the, is the definition of that word. So, I, uh, I afflicted my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into my own bosom. So here is a connection made with the exact same word. The word humbled there means to afflict. Uh, Isaiah 58 and verse 3. Isaiah 58 and verse 3. says, Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and... Thou seest not, wherefore have we afflicted our souls? And you take no knowledge. Behold, in the days of your fast, you find pleasure and exalt all your labor. So, God is correcting a people here for the wrong kinds of motive here. But obviously here we have the connection between fasting and afflicting our soul. Uh, the connection between the two words to afflict, to afflict, excuse me, and to fast. So why, why do we fast on this day? Which can really be a, a, you know, a tough thing to do, especially if you're not used to it. You know, uh, it, it can be uh, almost a miserable experience for some people. Well, I think one of the things that it reveals is our total dependency on God for everything, when you think about it. I mean, when we realize how fragile we are, and just to go one day without food, you begin at the end of the day, you begin to realize, man, I am totally dependent on God. So so one of the meanings here is our total dependency on God. Remember the little statement that Jesus made? He said, you know, he said, Look, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And his disciples are, you know, looking at each other and they'll say, Well, did someone give him something to eat? You know? And then he says, you don't have to turn there, but this is John 4 and verse 34. Jesus said to them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So from Christ's perspective, it's not just about, you know, the physical food. that w- it's, it's about, you know, he says, look, my meat, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Well, back to Leviticus 23 and verse 28. We left off at Leviticus 23 and verse 27. But we're going to pick back up there and look at the instructions for the Day of Atonement. And as we look at this, you know, one of the things that we gather here is just how serious this day is because of the instructions that are given here. Leviticus 23 and verse 28. It says, And you shall do no work in that same day for it is a day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For, whosoever, what, for whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that does any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. So as you look at this, you realize, well, man, this is, this is serious this day of atonement. You shall do no manner of work, it shall be a statue forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and you shall afflict your souls. In the ninth day, of the seventh month, at even from even, and even and, uh, unto even shall you celebrate your Sabbath. And that, that little phrase, at even from even, unto even, The other holy days that's not mentioned, but it is mentioned on this day, the Day of Atonement. Probably emphasizing, you know, don't don't have a tendency to cut that fast short, or you know, or whatever. Uh, Probably the reason for that. Don't start it late and don't quit it early. (laughs) You might say. (laughs) Now. uh, In Acts 27 and verse 9, this is just a reference in the New Testament about the Day of Atonement, but I did want to cover that because, um, you know, a lot of people will say, well, what you're keeping are these old Jewish holidays, and, and that's not, you know, they overlook at the fact that these are the Feast of Jehovah, holy convocations which you shall proclaim during their season, and that's what we're doing today. We're proclaiming the Day of Atonement. But anyway, Acts 27, verse now. Now, when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. Now, that word fast there is a reference to the day. If you look it up, it just means the day of atonement. That word fast. So, the New Testament church obviously was keeping, number one, they were keeping the Sabbath day. They were keeping the holy days. And they were keeping the feast. Of Jehovah and when you think about it the holy days and especially this day day of atonement is all about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ which what he has done for us now what is interesting is and we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews You can read the book of Hebrews and get the whole story about the Day of Atonement. There is a strong connection that is made. Now, why would Paul, well, it's debated about who wrote the book of Hebrews, but a lot of scholars might say, well, Paul wrote that. But whoever the author is, we don't know absolutely for sure. But why would the author write to Christians explaining in great detail the meaning of the day of atonement in the book of Hebrews you know that has significance in and of itself that he's writing to Christians and he's 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 going through this elaborate explanation of what happened back on the day of atonement atonement is about the work of Jesus Christ at one with God if you break that word down Uh, Jesus Christ, our high priest, is what it's about. Although in the flesh, Christ, he came from the tribe of Judah, uh, not Levi. But anyway, Hebrews 9 and verse 1. Hebrews 9 and verse 1. Let's let's start reading here. Because he sort of lays out the sanctuary. It says, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and worldly sanctuary. Uh, for For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, or the holy of holy. Now. If you want to imagine what this looks like, draw yourself a rectangle and then put you a, a line down the center, you've got two parts to this. One part is the holy of holiest. All right, Hebrews 9 and verse 4, which had the golden censer, the ark of the covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that butted and the table of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered himself for the error of the people. So once a year he would go into this the holy of holies the high priest would represent Jesus Christ our high priest and it was only done once a year on this day Now there was um I don't know if it's true or not but I I you probably heard this before that that there's a tradition that said the high priest would would wear a rope around his his his, his um Feet or what ankles, yeah, ankles, that's what I'm trying to say right there. And just in case he did not present himself correctly, I and mean, because there were certain clothing he had to wear, there were such uh, ritualist you know, washings and, and forgiveness, and, and, and so you're coming into extreme power when you walk into the Holy of Holies. And, and so if something happened to him, they could pull him back out with that rope. Now, there is a story. Uh, about Aaron's two sons. Uh, You don't have to turn there, but this is back in Leviticus 10 and verse 1. It says, They took either of them his censer and put fire there on and put incense there on and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they they did die before the Lord. So here they took strange fire, uh, I think originally this fire was lit by the, let's say, the match of God, but they, they offered strange fire, kindled up something themselves. These two sons had decided to get involved in, in some innovative worship at the tabernacle. And, you know, you, just a side note, I'm sort of going off on a different direction, but innovative worship, you know, well, let's, let's come up with something on our own. Let's do something, you know, they said this would be a, great, a good idea. Let's try this. Um, I think about our society. Innovative worship. You know, this would be a good idea. Let's put Halloween into the church. That's what you call, you know, it just, it's just off the top. Let, let, let's try this. Well, Aaron's sons got too close to the power of God. And they got burnt to a crisp when they tried some innovative worship. You know, if we could, if you could imagine, okay, coming here, if I, I could rig up some high tensile wiring that maybe went between the seats here. <laughs> and I said, you know, that wiring has 10,000 volts on it. If you touch it, it will kill you. You know, that, that's, that was the kind of power they were coming into when they came into the presence of God, especially as you approach this, the, the holy of holiest. You know, in the movie... I don't know I sometimes think maybe not in our church but sometimes as a society we lose sight of that power of God as we approach God in the movie Rigoletto you know the the woman came to see Rigoletto and she could not just barge in there You know, here I am you know she had to the the servant had to stop her at the door and, and open the door and then you heard Rigoletto say you may approach you, okay you know you, there there's a, a type of you know respect there as, as a society we have become consumers of God's grace just consumers of God and often people enter into a relationship with God with this lackadaisical mindset the church is not revered maybe uh, no respect for the temple whether a building or the temple of the body you know and that and I'm not saying we're like that I, I think we on a you know take God a lot more serious than than, than some people may may would but uh, anyway just a just a, a story of getting too close to the power of God as Aaron's two sons did and, and and they were killed for offering strange fire upon the altar or whatever okay Hebrews 9 and verse 8 should have told you to keep you Well, hopefully you're still there. Hebrews 9 and verse 8 says, The Holy Holy Spirit thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was standing. So while the first tabernacle was standing, this says the Holy Spirit signified. In other words, there's meaning to this. Man At that time, man's access to God was limited. He didn't have complete access to God. That's that's what the Holy Spirit was signifying. All right, let's keep reading in Hebrews 9, verse 11. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, this is to say not of this building, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctify sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purged your conscience from dead, dead works to serve the living God. The difference is, we have a living, we have a daily high priest we can go to. Our access to God is not limited now. It's unlimited, which is really a beautiful picture in and of itself. Uh, Hebrews 9 and verse 24. Just drop down there. Hebrews 9 and verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are a figure of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And of course, you know, you'll remember that after Christ was resurrected, late Sabbath evening, He appeared to his father on a Sunday and presented himself to the father. You remember Mary said, touch me not, I have not yet ascended to the father. And then later, he allowed his disciples to touch him. Well, somewhere between that period of time, he went to present himself to the father as the lamb of God, slain slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ offered himself there. Um, Hebrews 9 and verse 25. Hebrews 9, and verse 25. It says, Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priests entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he had often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So, Jesus Christ, the great high priest, and now we have access on a daily basis to go to Christ and, and a daily high priest to ask for forgiveness whenever we need forgiveness. Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Let's drop back there and read this. This has always been an encouraging passage for me because of how it tells us to approach the throne of grace. Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Seeing then, we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. In other words, don't give up on your faith. Don't quit. Don't give up. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In other words, there's not an area that Christ cannot understand when it comes to temptation. The struggles that, that we go through. You know, I was, I was thinking about, one time I was thinking about, well, Christ never went through anxiety. And then I, I thought, well, look at what happened at the cross when he went and prayed and his blood was as, you know, great, his sweat was as great drops of blood. I mean, that's high intense anxiety. So there is nothing that we have gone through that Christ cannot associate with and, and understand, who was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. All right, because of that, because Christ has experienced it all for us, even death. You know, the death of a loved one, whatever it may be. He's experienced all these emotions. Let us, therefore, come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain, fine, to, may, may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right. Now, I want to go through four simple points here uh, that I think is encouraging. You know, and, and let me just clarify this. As a church, we understand what repentance is. I want to just put that disclaimer out there at first so that we don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. All right, number one. God forgives immediately. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to wait. You know, someone said, how long should a believer feel guilty about sin? The answer, probably about 10 seconds, as long as it takes you to say, Father, I have sinned and I repent. Forgive me of my sins. I, I don't know. There's a myth out there that says, feeling guilty makes me a better person. I don't know about that. You know, sometimes we can carry guilt for years. And we can remember stuff for years and years and years and years and never let it go. You know, there's no virtue in feeling guilty or thinking that somehow makes me a better person. Forgiveness, all right? Second, God forgives completely. God forgives completely. When Christ died for your sins, which one did he which ones did he include? Which one did he not include? Did, did, which one did he say, nope, I can't forgive you know that one right there? Now, there is the unpardonable sin, but, but the unpardonable sin is a sin for which you refuse to ask for forgiveness. You're no longer asking for forgiveness, therefore God can't forgive it. As long as you can go to the throne of grace and say, I am sorry for this, it, you know, that, that's a sin that, that God can pardon. It's not the unpardonable sin. Okay, just need to clarify that. Uh, the problem is this is if we don't the problem is if we don't completely understand forgiveness if we don't understand forgiveness every time something bad happens to you you're going to think god is punishing me for this that's the problem with it you know if we don't completely understand forgiveness every time something goes wrong Something goes bad. You're going to just jump to that conclusion. God's punishing me for this. And that's not true. That is not true. God doesn't work that way. Someone said, how long do you remember a paid bill? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you don't remember a paid bill. (laughs) You you forget about it. Okay, that bill's been paid. All right. Three, God forgives repeatedly. Have you ever committed the same sin sin twice? Uh, (laughs) That's a dumb question, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, Or more than once. And sometimes we get embarrassed to ask for forgiveness, you know. God does not get bored with our confession and repentance. Or our repentance and confession confession and repentance. Okay. Uh, Just a note, Hebrews 7 and verse 25, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lived to make intercession for them. Yeah, amen. Uh, number four, God forgives freely. Now obviously there's repentance, but you, know, you, you don't earn it, you, you know, there is grace. Because we are humans, forgiveness is our greatest need. Because Christ died for you, forgiveness is our greatest, forgiving is God's greatest gift. Now, I want to conclude with something uh, that you may or may not agree with about this particular day of atonement. I have sort of changed my personal convictions about the day of atonement. And it's okay for me to do that, by the way. (laughs) Um, For the past probably three or four years, the Day of Atonement has been an incredible struggle for me. There's been a certain amount of torment going on. And and that in and of itself ought to tell you something about maybe what God God is working on you. And the reason for it is the representation of these two goats I've always struggled with because as a minister I don't want to misrepresent Jesus Christ I don't want to say a goat that represents Jesus is Satan or vice versa now you can see how that can be a huge if you're presenting this to your congregation this gets deep you know and and I don't want to be on the side of error now listen so I'll, I'll explain this as my convictions are now, if you disagree, that's okay. If you have to leave the church, I guess that's okay. <laughs> Christ covers our sins and he also bears our sins. Christ covers with the blood. And he also bears our sins. Don't forget that little statement. Christ covers and bears our sin. So let's take a look at the two goats. Something Angela loves to do here. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) She said one time, she said, You're not going to talk about them two goats again, are you? (laughs) Leviticus 16 and verse 7. and he shall take the two goats and this is tied into the day of atonement by the way (laughs) and he shall take the two goats and present them before the lord now there's two goats at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats one lot for the lord the other for the scapegoat or the azazel or goat uh, scapegoat okay and Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. So keep in mind, this one goat that is, offered, is referred to as the Lord's goat is killed. It is sacrificed. Its blood is shed. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but once this, the Lord's goat is killed, why does there need to be another part of this ceremony? Because there is another part of this ceremony. There's another goat. All right. It's been killed. Sins have been forgiven. But we all understand, I think, that justification. You know, justification is for sins of your past. When you go down in the waters of baptism, your whole past is wiped clean. But everybody in this room knows that just because you are forgiven of your past sins, you know, I remember saying to God, God, I'll never sin again. Not only did I lie to him, but uh, I, did, I did sin. And, you know, I can't count how many times. So there is a, sin can have like a half-life. It can continue on. And sins of, of, of you know, the past. So we come to this second goat. Leviticus 16 and verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquity of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him, notice that language, shall bear upon him all their iniquities into a land not inhabited, and he shall let the goat... Uh, let go the goat in the wilderness Christ covers our sins but he also bears our sins and that little passage there and the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities you know i was talking to Dave Haver about this we were texting back and forth and and i was telling him about my struggle here on the day of atonement and he said he said this he said I would recommend that you avoid the idea of the devil bearing our sins instigator of sin yeah I understand that but that's not what this passage says it says he bears our sins Jesus Christ as as a living high priest has to or had to bear our sins. If you had been standing there watching this goat be taken away, and all of my sins had been laid on its head, and you watched it go out of sight and out of distance, what might you have thought? Well, the passage in Psalms 103 and verse 12 might have come to your mind. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That thought might have come to your mind. So, and then I think about, and then I think about another little story: the temptation of Christ. Where was Christ carried? Into the wilderness. What did he have to do before? He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. So I, I think even there there is a connection there with the Day of Atonement, with the temptation of Christ, with the wilderness and fasting. So Let me conclude with this, and then you can can kick me out of the church. Uh, Revelation 20 and verse 1. Revelation 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Now, I still believe this event is gonna take place between atonement and tabernacles. I just don't make the connection to it, to the second goat in Leviticus like I used to. I believe that both goats represent the atoning work of Jesus Christ Christ's blood covers our sins and Jesus Christ as our living high priest bears our sins. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net. If you would like more information or if you have any questions, write to Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia 24151. Or visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net.